more often than not, marketing and sales aren't even working very well. Obviously, you want those teams working really well. But it's rare, I think, that you will have a finance org that's also a part of that. And I think that's really a secret source that Jim passes that finance, marketing, and sales really tag team these problems. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Ryan Bonici, CMO at Gympass and one of the top 50 most influential global CMOs. We will discuss commercial marketing toolkit for predictable and profitable growth. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Dots. I'm doing really well, thanks. How about yourself? I am great, and it's an incredible honor having you on. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your background, your role, and how you've risen to the top of the mountain when it comes to marketing? Yeah, sure thing. So like you said, I'm the CMO at GymPass. GymPass is the world's most loved corporate benefit. So we give employees, millions of employees throughout the world, access to top gyms, studios, classes, personal trainers, wellness apps, all-in-one employee benefit. And I joined GymPass a little over a year ago, but I've spent most of my career in the tech SaaS world. So I started my career at Microsoft. And then moved to a company called Exact Target, which was like an email marketing platform that was acquired by Salesforce, where I led marketing for them in the Asia Pacific region. Then HubSpot, and then G2 Crowd, which then became G2, and now GymPass. So um, I feel really lucky to have had an opportunity to work with some really amazing people and, and really excited to talk with you about all things marketing, one of my favorite loves. Absolutely. You have a great career and I could always wish you greater heights ahead. And speaking of greater heights, you already exposed to the concept of managing not just marketing teams at the global level, but commercial teams. And people will be wondering what that means. And they may be seeing it in different areas in terms of it's no longer marketing. It's about many other aspects and things like that. So when it comes to this emerging role, especially what I call like an integrated revenue force, how does that work within your organization or through your own experience in managing this cross-section of marketers and IT and services and sales and any other micro department that comes within them? I think... At the end of the day, every company is different and every go-to-market is different, really. And I've worked in so many different kinds of organizations now where different reporting structures work for different organizations. And I think at the end of the day, when it comes to org structure, there's no such thing as a perfect org structure. Really, there's perfect for like what it is you're trying to achieve right now, maybe in the next 12 to 18 months. And there's pros and cons, right, between different options. And you choose the one that meets the needs of whatever challenge that you're trying to solve. When I was at Exact Target, 
the whole inside sales BDR, SDR organization reported up to me in marketing. And I actually thought that was a really great setup then because it really connected marketing with the team that was following up on all of the MQLs that marketing was generating. And so it really created a beautiful feedback loop between those teams. And I think the added benefit as well was that when those SDRs became BDRs and those BDRs became AEs and moved outside of the marketing organization into the traditional revenue organization or sales organization, they always became our top AEs. And I think a big part of that actually was because they really knew how to leverage marketing well because they started within the marketing organization. And so they really knew how to leverage case studies and all of the content and collateral. And so I think really at the end of the day, it really just depends on what it is you're trying to solve. At Gym Class today, my organization consists of about 350 people. And there's two very distinct organizations. One portion of my organization is traditional marketing. And that makes up maybe one third of the 350 people. And then the other like portion of my organization is called CX or customer experience. And this team is really focused on, again, I mentioned we have millions of impact subscribers, tens of millions of people that can use the platform. And they always have different questions about different partners in the network and different questions about how they can add their family members to their account. And so I have a team of, of several hundred people that is online responding to their needs. And, and so that's what my organization looks like today, marketing and CS. Honestly, it's my hope that this goes on for many of the marketing leaders out there because at the end of the day, however way you want to market anything, there are so many buzzwords going on now. You need to make the clients happy. The clients need to be delighted, which is why I really like your setup because by delighting the customers, they stay loyal, you build lifetime value, and they even help you with virality, right? We definitely leverage the teams in an interactive way. And I think also, this is true of marketing, but also of, of customer experience is that so much of the way in which we service customers at GymPass, but at most companies today is digital, or digital tools and digital channels. And I think having those things all roll up into one organization makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, you have a tendency for the website to have competing and overlapping tools, right? Like different chatbots on different pages and different email platforms for different teams. And it just gets a little bit messy. And it was a little bit messy a year and a half ago when I joined GymPass and over the last year or so, we've been really cleaning up our tools, working out where there's overlap that's unnecessary and creating synergies there. And then outside of the tools, you mentioned this, but every time the X team is engaging with a customer, that's an opportunity to serve their needs in a different way, to cross-sell them or upsell them a different product, to make them aware of a new marketing campaign that, that could benefit them. And so we leverage the teams in different ways and, and it works really well. Yeah, I have no doubt that you are very successful at this. And I would like to own in a little bit there when you mentioned tools or the digital transformation or digital experiences, however our listeners want to relate to that. Could you tell us some of the uh, inbound touch points that you work with, whether it's from based on the marketing sales service loop? What are some of the touch points that you think marketers should be considering that are underserved? Meta is in general or in the context of 
uh, gym pass? Yeah, it's a good question. I think as a CMO and for all marketing leaders out there, you never want too many of your eggs in one basket, right? And so I think having a really diversified mix of channels that drive revenue for your business is really, really critical. But I think one of those channels, which I think more often than not is underutilized or not being utilized in the best way possible, is more often than not organic. I think everyone knows, unless you're living under a rock, I think everyone knows that organic search traffic is a hugely important and valuable way to generate business. But I don't think as many folks still know how to do it really well. And to add complexity to that even further, I think the way in which the search algorithm is evolving, the ways in which people will be searching in the next five to 10 years now that chat GPT is here, that's fundamentally changing the way people find and build content and information is changing. And so I think that's a really underutilized channel in the sense of it's underutilized because people don't use it properly. I think with B2B marketing, I still don't know many B2B marketers that can leverage social very well. I think it's still really complicated leveraging social as a B2B company because you're competing with content online that B2C companies are creating, cute puppies and cats and dogs. And and no one really is looking to download an ebook when they're on the toilet scrolling Instagram. And so I think there's some opportunities there. And I think we're doing a lot of things at Gym Pass at the moment, actually, I think, start to innovate in that space. And one of those things I'm really excited, it hasn't launched yet, but I think it will have launched before this episode goes live is our first fictional podcast at Gym Pass. And when I say fictional, what I mean is that most podcasts in the B2B and B2C world actually are, are very much like logical, rational, right? So you would expect for a company like Gym Pass that sells to HR teams to benefit leaders that we would create a podcast around all things employee benefits. Like what are the top employee benefits, blah, blah, blah. And there's a ton of podcasts out there like that already that we would be competing with if we created that. And so... What the team and I sat down and were thinking a bit more about was like, what is there out there right now? Or where is the gap in the market that we can fill? And we saw that as being entertaining content. We still obviously want to entertain our core buying persona, which is HR leaders, benefits leaders, but we're doing so in a way that engages that other businesses aren't. So the podcast is called Murder and HR. It's basically set inside this fictional tech company. And there's a new HR person, it's their first day and they're at their company kickoff and someone is murdered at the company kickoff and then HR needs to actually investigate and work out what happened. It's like a a dark comedy, I guess you could say. And we have really talented voice actors. So our leading character is played by Kate Mara, who is from House of Cards. And her counterpart is played by Brett Gelman, who's from Stranger Things. So we've got like really incredibly talented voice actors playing some of the the roles. And again, our our strategy with that, which I think will engage on social, unlike the content that I mentioned before that doesn't engage, is that it's like entertaining. It's something that hopefully will pull at like the heart and ends of the leaders and get them something not about their job, but adjacent to their job that they will find interesting. So I think there's so many different channels that are underutilized. I think it's hard to use like a broad paintbrush to tell everyone what is the case for every industry. I think you really need to look at your own channels and see 
where are you driving revenue from today and where could you be driving it from in the future as well as what channels exist today and where are there potential like blue ocean opportunities for you to, to make a splash and own a niche in a certain channel or a certain audience? And that's what we're doing. And I think everyone can do that in their own space. Yeah. You reminded me of a project I worked on in 2015 on blue ocean strategies. But I think all that you said and also how creatively you can make use of some of the opportunities or even strengths of your brand to create something that is relevant to your audiences. And the case study you just mentioned there is awesome. I have in the past worked with uh, a company called Fringe that does something similar as well. It's very interesting. When it comes to projections, we are looking at commercial marketing, but we are also looking at predictability. And all these things I've mentioned are really great, but at the strategic level, when you're dealing with stakeholders, and you've, I, I'm sure you do this on a daily basis, you, they are asking you, where does all this take us? right? And in order to be predictable, you need to have some good idea on forecasting, right? You're forecasting what the standard deviation is in terms of performance and making sure that is as predictable as possible. So could you give us some insights on how you work with your commercial teams to make these sort of uh, projections? And how do you see that in general, should we even care about it because no one knows tomorrow? Is there some framework or guiding principle that needs to be done to stay consistent? What are some of the elements around forecasting growth and plugging in everything when it requires to commercial marketing operations? Mm. Yes, I think first off, who are the key stakeholders and the teams that need to be involved? And for us, it's really like a triangle. There's the revenue organization, the marketing organization, and the finance organization. And I think we tag team this problem really well. And we lean on the finance team to help us better understand LTP to CAC for various regions and various segments. And we lean on the sales reps to give us feedback. We lean on marketing KPIs. But I think first off, it's really who are the teams that need to be involved? And I think more often than not, marketing and sales aren't even working very well. Obviously, you want those teams working really well. But it's rare, I think, that you will have a finance org that's also a part of that. And I think that's really our secret source at Pass is that finance, marketing, and sales really tag team these problems. And so if I had to choose the three KPIs that I think are the most important to forecasting, for us, everything comes back to revenue, right? Revenue is obviously the lagging metric. And then MQLs is really your leading metric. And we're obviously then looking at marketing source revenue specifically. So for all the MQLs that the marketing team generated, how much of them became closed customers and what percentage of the total revenue your company generated in a quarter, what percentage of that was sourced by marketing. So I care a lot about that. And that's leading to lagging with regards to just the revenue funnel. And then obviously where I think the, the finance team becomes really valuable is then starting to look at, okay, we've created revenue. How sustainable, how profitable is that revenue by segment? And that's where we start to look at LTV to CAC projections and our marketing time to recoup. And so we can really start to see that, okay, cool. We might be generating a ton of revenue in this segment, this segment has lower margins, higher acquisition costs. And so the LTV to CAC is lower than a other segment. 
And so I care a lot about that. Maybe an hour or two ago, I was on a call with that finance team, literally talking through this as we were starting to do some planning for next year. But I really care a lot about that. And obviously, there's so many other metrics that are really important too. But I think they're some of the most important metrics at a high level. And then I depend on my teams to actually go into their more specific metrics. Like my paid team, obviously, is looking at the paid media metrics and taking that all all the way through to revenue. And then the finance team helps the paid team. That's how I think about it. I know I like the fact that you have a lot of connection with service, but you also have a lot of connection with finance. So if you're listening, maybe finance is also part of that commercial tag team, if I would say. And just to add to what you said there in terms of the KPIs, again, thanks for breaking that down. Influencers like uh, Chris Walker have been driving the concept of direct attribution from marketing to SQLs, which is a next level KPI to MQLs. So if you're listening, that also may also be something very useful. Again, analytics, marketing intelligence is not still as straightforward as we want it to be, not just because of the tech limitations, but because there are also governance issues around that. But just do what you can to give the most realistic projections if you really want something predictable. And if you outperform, great. So yeah, I've been enjoying this so far, Ryan, and I'm not done. We, have, we still have a couple of more questions to go. And again, it's the commercial marketing toolkit. Now it's time to put it to use with your help. There are many things that are outside of marketing that matters in marketing. And one of them is pricing. Especially in the B2B space, you specialize in SaaS. I'm happy to focus on that. What are some of the pricing strategies at the high level that I think marketers can benefit from when it comes to running great commercial campaigns? What do you think about that? I think the first thing I'd say is I think it's pretty rare for a marketing team to be involved in pricing strategy. And I think that's actually not a good thing. Like I mentioned before, having, I think having revenue, having finance, and then having marketing all come to the table together and share what they're all experiencing, I think helps you ultimately create the best pricing strategy. And this is more of a B2C kind of view, but right, if you think of like the four P's of marketing, price is one of those, right? And it's super important. And I think where you're starting to see more maybe marketing teams get involved in pricing is where product-led growth or touchless purchasing is happening and there's maybe not as much of a sales focus. And for example, we have an SMB offering at GymPass where we sell GymPass to companies. They can literally buy it through our website, swipe a credit card and, and get started within minutes. And... Again, I was on a call earlier today where we were like talking about more experimentation that we are doing with pricing. And so it could be experimentation of like showing the price and not showing the price, right? And pushing someone from being able to check out with the credit card to being able to check out by talking to a sales rep. It could be offering to charge more to charge less or a higher sticker value with a bigger discount. There's so many different strategies and ways to think about pricing at the end of the day. Some companies will start with a lower price and then get you into the product, like land and expand. There's so much there. I think at the end of the day, though, really what you need to be thinking about is like, how can you experiment? How can you test? How can you try different things? And I think doing so in different regions can be a nice way to think about that. Like at Salesforce, for example, 
we always used Australia as like a testing ground for us to test new products, to test new prices, to test new campaigns. And it worked really nicely because Australia is super similar to other big English-speaking Western markets like the US, the United Kingdom, like Canada, but it's hidden from the rest of the world in some ways. So as a company, you can test different pricing strategies there with limited chance of those things becoming seen by other regions and then learn from that market, that segment, and then bring those learnings overseas. I think it's really important as a takeaway for marketing to be involved in those discussions. I think at the end of the day, though, the finance team is ultimately the responsible and the accountable team to deciding what price should be. And I think marketing and revenue team need to work in harmony with the finance team because obviously profit margins are incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great. And I would still like some more from that. How should we be careful about offering free trials and discounts in marketing campaigns? When I started very early on in my career, it was like a no-brainer, just do it. But maybe three years ago from now, I started to work with a lot of companies and really going deep into their finances, just as you said, access to finances and seeing that, oh gosh, having discounts will not really help. Again, it depends on what or where or the situation. From your experience, what is your own take on being very careful about using any kind of discounting mechanism at all in relation to profitability? Yeah, I think like the similarities between those two things, so free trials and discounts, at the end of the day, they're all about really getting someone into the product faster, right? Like a discount will get people to buy at a faster rate. Similarly, a free trial will get people into the product. I think what really matters though, is you need to not just look at that stage of the funnel, but the full funnel right at the end of the day. Because I think a really common reality of discounting is that it has a tendency, and this depends on how much you discount, but it has a tendency to increase the close rate for customers who might not have the best retention. And I think that's a problem with discounting. And so it's really important to obviously track the full funnel, look at your LTV to CAC and look at the lifetime value of the different cohorts of users that came in through a free trial or through a discount versus the ones that didn't come in through a discount. So I think that's really important. On the free trial side of the house, Again, this is super dependent on the market and the segments and the product and service that you're in. But I think a general reality of the world is I think we are all as consumers, whether B2C or B2B, becoming more accustomed to being able to try before we buy, right? I get clothes delivered to my home before I have to pay for them on Amazon and I send back what I don't want. And the same is true of the software, right? More often than not now, I can actually start using the product for free. And then at certain points, I need to upgrade if I want different features. I'm a big fan and I'm a big believer in free trials and freemium just as a concept. But I think there's a big asterisk. And I think that big asterisk is you have to actually have a really good product or service that people will like and that people can use without much help. Again, that's why I said it really depends on your product and your service and your industry because if you have an incredibly complex product that the time to value is quite long and you need lots of services to get it set up and running, take CDP, like a customer data platform, like Segment, for example. 
I don't believe Segment does free trials. And there's a good reason for that probably. And that's because you can't really experience the product until you have all your data in there. It takes weeks, months to get your data in there. They don't want people to have a bad experience. They want you to commit with some dollars. I think at the end of the day, it really depends. They're just tactics and like all tactics and unpaid media is a tactic. Advertising on billboards is a tactic. You need to measure the effectiveness of it. And it's really simple. Yeah. I like the things you've said about having cohorts. It's a very popular B2B marketing thing. Looking at the decision-making cycles or the decision-making funnels and the entities involved and what those scenarios look like. But what I like the most really is even if I'm going to offer a freemium, the product must be good enough that people are willing to pay for it at the basic level. That's something I've not really heard from many. If you do that, and even if you're still offering a freemium, you might be so good with that product in terms of independence and stuff like that, so much so that people are even willing to ask for more and be ready to pay for it because of the the, the value. And, and I would know that KPI there, time to value that was mentioned. So thank you so much for that. Before I let you go, I would like us to go through a bit of some operational questions with regards to driving this commercial marketing and making it grow companies or brands the way it's supposed to. In the SaaS space, there's also, aside from the pricing strategy, there's also the concept of referral. So referral marketing. And referral marketing that is done well, I would imagine is often very complex and it requires a a system that is very solid, not just from the tech side, but even from the people's and the processes and and things like that. Have you had any experience with that, whether throughout your career or in your current role? And what are some of the efficient ways you've seen referral marketing work when it comes to SaaS? whether it's from a front-facing side or the kind of things that goes on at the back end? First off, it really starts with having a product or a service that people love. Because I think to make referral anything work, you need to have that sort of trust and love from your user base, such that like they will bring their peers or their friends or their family into the fold. I think that's so important. And Referral strategies, in my mind, are rarely the first thing that you would do as a team. I tend to prefer to actually focus on all the other aspects of marketing first while the product is being built and is being improved. And then once you start to see unaided referrals, so once you start to see people coming in and buying because they heard of your product or service through a friend or a colleague, then that starts to give you, in my mind, the signal that, okay, it's already happening. How can we actually create a system and a process around this to turbocharge it? I think too often than not, people try to build a referral program before the product is worth referring, and then it doesn't work. So I think before you get into the tech side of the house and building it, and referral programs are easy, they're complicated, and it really depends on your product, and it really depends on your profit margins, and really depends on a lot of things, right? In terms of how you're going to incent people to refer. So I think step one is, are people referring to product and service without any help of a referral program? And that's how I can think about it. And then once that's happening, again, there's so many different tools out there that you can use to build a referral program. I've been at companies where we've implemented them and it's taken 12 months, it's taken 18 months just because of the complexities in 
connecting the referral program with everything else and connecting it with the way the product works and so many other things. So I don't think referral programs are for the faint-hearted. I think they can be challenging, uh, but I think there's a ton of benefit in them. And what we were talking about before, Dots, in terms of having a really diversified channel, like referral traffic is another traffic source, right? To your site, to your app, to your store, whatever that is. And again, it's a really valuable channel. I think there are other channels that I would start with before referral, to be completely honest. But again, as you are building your diversified channel mix, it's a really important one that I think often goes underlooked, but maybe more often than not gets, gets addressed before it's even ready to be addressed. Yeah, you're right. And I like the fact that you said in terms of the participants, it's often better to have them being the customers first. People do referral or affiliate marketing because they want to make a buck, even though they don't use the product. Yeah, it really depends, I think, on the incentives. Gym Pass is really interesting. So we don't have a referral program at Gym Pass. But what's really interesting is that we probably should have a referral program at Gym Pass because whenever I am at the gym and I'm wearing like my Gym Pass singlet or my Gym Pass t-shirt, people come up to me and are literally like, oh my God, do you work at Gym Pass? I am coming to this gym today because I am using Gym Pass. I love it. Like if it wasn't for Gym Pass, I would leave my company this happens many times every single day and every single time I go to the gym. And so to me, that's such a good indicator of, wow, people love this product. They're raving about it. Now, how do I bottle up that love, that word of mouth marketing? And how do I direct it in a way in which that I can measure and I can build over time? And so I think until you're starting to see signs that the product is ready for it, the only other way to fix that is then really using incentives. And if you're having to pay people to refer others, that again affects your margins. And so there's just a lot of complexities there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The last bit, because I know you are a revenue marketing expert yourself, and there has been this discussion that has been coming up, and I'm talking about the operational side here, in terms of the demise of sales development reps, SDRs. Because now there's a lot of digital buying going on and there's a need of there's a need for demand gen to fill the void. And that has really helped sales in terms of so is the story continuing? Am I picking up this handoff, this sales handoff as the right place? So how has that happened in your own space whereby there's so much demand generation content now that sales development rep is not as needed. Or are people wrong about this in general in terms of the need for sales development reps before AE is coming into the pipe? Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree, to be honest, that the role of sales dev reps is vanishing. I think like any role in any company today, it's evolving, right? The job of a CMO, the job of a marketer, today is very different than what it was 20 years ago. The tools that you use are very different. And so I think anything like SDRs, BDRs, they're adapting, right? They're using tools that weren't available 20 years ago. And so I think they're adapting, they're learning. There might be some segments and or some products and services where maybe SDRs are less relevant and there are probably other sectors where they're becoming even more relevant, right? So if, yeah, I think it's a mix. So previously, if you had a product that you would sell through a BDR that was a really simple product, 
maybe that's something that now can be digitized because it's a low cost product, high velocity. It's more efficient to sell through the website. And if you take email marketing as an example, like 20 years ago, email marketing, databases, nurturing, automation was probably much more complicated than it is today and might have needed an AE or a BDR to sell it. Whereas today, you know, once someone has used something for many years, I think it's easier to buy a robot. There's less questions to ask. In some areas, there might be that. For ERP, CRM, for large companies where you're needing to understand and security and all these other things, I think sales consultants are becoming even more critical. It's just the mix of skills and specifically what they do in the job might change. But no, I'm a really big believer in SDRs and BDRs because I think if someone's willing to buy without speaking to them, great. Like, and that has nothing to do with the SDR or the BDR. It really has to do with becoming customer obsessed and listening to your customers, analyzing how they want to buy and then helping them buy in the way that they want to buy. And there'll always be a huge percentage of people, I think, that at some point in the buying process need help. I think this whole product-led growth, customer-led growth, et cetera, it has maybe made people think that, but I don't actually think that's the case. I think they're complementary. And again, a lot of the time it depends on the complexity of what you're buying, the size of the company buying the thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And thanks for that perspective. I would actually take that. It's been an incredible experience with you today in terms of all the wisdom that you've shared, a lot of nice things to think about, which I have not seen in different places and why you wear the crown that you wear when it comes to being a CMO. So thank you so much for that. Where can our marketers learn more about your work and get in touch with you? Yeah, for sure. I think first up, I'd be a terrible marketer if I didn't say, if any of the people listening want to learn more about GymPass, they should head to gympass.com because GymPass is such an incredible product and service. Like I am obsessed. I use it every single day. It's helped me in my personal life and at work and our customers feel similarly. Highly recommend folks check it out. Recommend their HR team check it out as well. Outside of that, you can find me on basically every social media platform. If you just search my name, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. That's all for today, guys. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. Brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.